Hey, well, I'm uh, back after a few months off. Uh, apologies for my absence. Uh, but anyway, back to uh, the Flying Podcast. I've been reading the BMAA's magazine recently and uh, noticed a local boy, John Hilton, has been uh, featured in the last three or four months' publications, at least. He's certainly been getting his money's worth out of his uh, CTSW aircraft, uh, flying into Europe, uh, even competing in the Round Britain Rally. Uh, as I mentioned in the podcast, I'm a bit of a fair weather pilot myself, and it seems that John is, is uh, probably happy to fly in conditions that would keep me sat in front of the TV. So, as well as being interested uh, in hearing about John's adventures, I wanted to hear about his attitude to risk when flying. We found a quiet spot to conduct the interview, sat in John's aircraft in the hangar at Barton, and I started off by asking him uh, where his flying career started. Well, I started off in Missouri um, when I was 20, I'm 44 now, I might even have been 21. Um, went over to the flying school, paid I think about £3,000, was met at Memphis Airport, um, was in front of the chief flying instructor about uh, six hours later because it was a overnight thing. Uh, and then found out the flying school had, had been closed down because the authorities suggested that uh, there'd been drug running going on. <laughs> right. So um, me and a bunch of other students ended up staying in uh, Malden, Missouri, an old military base that was falling apart, for about six, eight weeks whilst they sorted things out. And in the end, I got my uh, I got my flying license out of it. But I was out of a hundred odd students. I think I was the only uh, maybe six of us actually got our licenses in the end. The rest sort of uh, unfortunately lost their money and got sent back to the UK but uh, yeah I got the US PPL then and then um, came back to the UK and, and there was a chap over there that had uh, an aircraft so I arranged to be a, uh, an agent for him in the UK I did some advertising in some of the flying magazines on the basis we were sending people over and um, and then I'd get sort of remunerate, remunerated via um, flying hours when I went back to Missouri um, but sadly this chap had a, an aircraft with retractable gear and one of the guys we sent over forgot to put the wheels down so the aircraft was totaled and that was the end of that um, and then I went back to flying at the age of 29 um, went back to Florida this time and signed up and did uh, the IMC the night rating, the multi-engine rating um, and did a certain amount of hour building and the plan was to go commercial I had a friend of mine that was flying in Zaire at the time so the plan was to go over there with my well in the end with my girlfriend um, and fly with him he was flying um, something called a Caribou which is a big twin engine kind of Vietnam era kind of aircraft yep. <coughs> pardon me <clears throat> and, um, and that was the plan and a couple of things happened my girlfriend had a change of heart and decided she didn't want to, to leave Manchester and go to Zaire which I completely understood I had a an eye ulcer for a while which kept coming and going which meant I was I was struggling to keep my eye open my left eye open which then when you're blinking as much means you're struggling with your right eye um, and Zaire had a civil war and this friend of mine that was flying over there um, came back um, so it kind of it seemed at the time that the best thing to do was to call it a, a bad do um, and that's kind of what I did and then over the course of the last uh, the following on four or five years the eye problem settled down because um, it was quite severe for a while and there was there was at one point a suggestion I was going to go over to the Rockies with another friend of mine and fly people around on float planes and I got 
most of the experience that was needed but at the bottom of the this um, magazine advert it said don't apply for this job if you've either got a criminal record or have ever had laser eye surgery and that's what I was facing at the time laser mm -hmm. eye surgery so I thought sod it and been the, the commercial flying dream um, incidentally the chap that's flying in Zaire at the time he now flies airbuses for Emirates in the Middle East um, so I gave up on flying got a job ended up because um, I'd been involved in property and insurance and mortgage broking and stuff like that um, ironically ended up working for a lighting firm um, and we ended up putting searchlights on the Eiffel Tower on the Millennium Bridge working on the Millennium Dome and all sorts of really cool things and um, sadly lighting companies had a habit of going bust so that particular firm went bust because the Millennium Dome chaps didn't pay up and um, so I had to find something else to do and then me being me ended up setting up uh, my own small business dealing with legal services for solicitors and what that meant was it gave me time to be able to indulge in past hobbies and yep. flying was one of them um, and I looked at all the aircraft that were available I looked at the CTs specifically and having been out of aviation for sort of 15 or so years at that point thought to myself is this a microlite? Can a CTSW be a microlite? It doesn't look like a microlite. It's fixed wing. It's got um, a glass panel. It cruises at the same kind of speed as a Cessna. It's got a much longer range. Um, it's easier to maintain, cheaper to maintain. Um, the engine seems to be very reliable. And I thought, right, I'll get one of those. So <clears throat> I uh, bit the bullet and, um, and and bought the CT, Golf Charlie Golf in Yuzuli. And here we are sat in it now. It's, uh, it's a great little aircraft, isn't it? Very, very uh, spacious inside. Much more spacious than a, a 152, for example. You wouldn't get me in a 152 these days. I look at them. I just look at the inside and, and think they're just... <coughs> they're just tired. No offence to chaps that fly them, but they just look like tired, knackered old aeroplanes. Yep. Um, this is, I guess, 18 months, two years old. Um, she's had the odd teething issues. Um, there wasn't a soft start, so it shook itself to bits for a while. Engine brackets failing, coolant leaks, oil leaks, um, sensor issues. But in <laughs> that aside, <clears throat> in general terms, she's been great, and um, and I wouldn't swap her for anything. And it flies for what you say, eight hours? Um, the best endurance you get out of it is probably about uh, eight hours. In theory, chaps will tell you about a thousand miles that it'll go for. The most I've pushed it, I think, is seven hours, and. Um, about a uh, seven or eight hundred uh, miles when I did the round Britain thing it was from uh, the Orkneys to Barton in one go but when you get uh, the downside of this aeroplane is when you get to only having a certain amount of fuel on board it, it's a very light aeroplane and if the wind is a little bit heavy um, you can be blown all over the place yep. but in general terms I wouldn't swap this for anything else on the apron here that's probably the one biggest downside I think I've found with microlights is, is just that behaviour in uh, in a crosswind particularly. This is in a crosswind. This is fine. I mean, the only thing that it, it struggles with is um, uh, gusting winds. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've you know I, on the round Britain thing, it was thirty knots plus. Um, you know, you you have to go through, and I know from from being a tunnel engineer in the past and and all that kind of stuff that I've done previously. You know, you have to do your own risk assessment, yep. um, and I'm sort of very conscious of that. But I, in a way, I haven't let that stop me doing things that I thought were doable. Okay, 
Let's start with um, your flight to Friedrichshafen. That was, um, is it Aero 2012? The, uh, yeah. the flying yeah. exhibition that was in Germany. Yeah. And you did that early this year. Was it, was it March, April time? Uh, yeah, I think April time, I think. The, um, the long-term plan for getting the aeroplane is to fly it around the world. Um, and I saw uh, Deepak's details somewhere from London Airsports um, and he was planning on doing a trip to uh, to Frederickshaven so me and another chap thought we'd take two aircraft and follow him um, and I think I booked about four or five days off work whatever it was um, and the weather was terrible mm -hmm. and people dropped out and then this friend of mine in the other CT he dropped out and then Deepak took off with a couple of aeroplanes and then had to come back and then he got over the channel and got up to 10,000 feet and then he went down to 500 feet and he uh, he had a whale of a time but in the end made it but that gave him a head start over me because I didn't set off that day <clears throat> and I subsequently spoke I think the following day spoke to one of the guys in Holland um, at Midden-Zealand and said what's the weather like and he said oh it, it's a bit windy now but it's going to settle down I said right okay I looked at the front going around the country and um, and I spoke to someone I think at Lid and um, <clears throat> thought sorry I'll set off and uh, the weather was terrible it wasn't ideal at all um, got over the channel and because um, the plan was to head towards Lid but it sort of it looked like it was blocking in front of me <clears throat> so I just did a <coughs> I mean, spoke to the um, <clears throat> air traffic chap and said I was turning right and going over the channel and over the channel I checked my emails again um, and got an email from this guy saying oh the weather's much windier than I thought and what were you doing setting off and I yeah. kind of I, I thought to myself you absolute plonker that's not yeah. what you said to me on the phone now you tell me now, yeah. now you're telling me because you're worried about the air accident report yeah. <coughs> so um, <clears throat> came in for a you know, found my way going up the the coast at um, um, sort of France and and Belgium and Holland, and um, found my way to this airstrip, very flat. And the guy said, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I expect you'll have to do a go round, and it's twenty gusting thirty odd, um, and it's going to be a direct crosswind. And uh, <clears throat> I think I said on the BMA thing, I politely told the guy to shut the flip up. <laughs> because uh, <coughs> he was putting me off and you know because it was a very flat strip it, it was a relatively easy landing at Barton it's quite a bumpy old affair so you can get caught out on a on a much bumpier strip but no Midden Zealand was, was a nice gentle landing um, it absolutely chucked it down the anemometer was having a party um, but it, it seemed fine and then the next day <coughs> flew off um, to uh, to Friedrichshafen when you set off from Barton to head down to uh, the the channel, the weather here was not good. And you know, looking at various weather charts, could you sort of summarise how you assess the risk and you know what do you look for in terms of uh, you know weather conditions en route where you say, "Yep, yeah, I'm going to go." I've spoken to quite a number of pilots, and I'm complete not comfortable, but you have to have a an acceptance of the fact the weather isn't going to be always as predicted. Sometimes it's going to be a lot better. Sometimes it's going to be a lot worse. Um, you know, you always want to protect your life, but at the same time, if you know the weather where you're going, if you know, if you've got first-hand reports as to what the weather's like on the route, and if you can check that up with the the different um, metars that are there and and tafts and so on, then you know you can make an informed decision. I've 
generally looked at things and if the if if the cloud has been you know a thousand feet and if there's been 5k or more um then i'll i'll i have been known to take to the skies i'm you know i do do a, a specific sort of to use current speak risk assessment um but you know one of the things with the ct is you've got as long as you've got the fuel in it you've got enough resources to be able to go anywhere in this country so you've always got the ability to divert somewhere else and at the same time i always carry um you know, a tent and um a sleeping bag and food and all sorts with me in the aircraft so it's not about getting from a to b and saying well if i don't get to b then i'm screwed and i'm, I'm you know a smear on the ground somewhere though i've given myself options and the aircraft has options in terms of you know the instruments that it has on it so i do take maybe a slightly more relaxed view than some chaps but at the same time i do fly quite regularly so you know it's not as if um and i've experienced it with other different things i've done in my life you know you can sometimes make bad decisions out of a, a moment of panic um and i'd like to think that i haven't addressed that in the aircraft i haven't panicked i've looked at the, the circumstances as they've arisen and said i think i can deal with this yep you do have a, an imc rating don't you which obviously you can't use in this but it, it does give you that sort of comfort factor when you are in slightly less yeah when, good conditions when i was going commercial um i did as i say the imc the multi-engine the night um and a certain amount of hour building i flew into you know orlando international um a couple of times i flew into freeport in the bahamas um you know i flew into some decent airfields if i'm honest the the one thing that always gets me more than maybe the flying is um is having to sound professional on the the radio that's you know my big um concern that and maybe it's a quirk of my personality maybe it's you know running a business maybe it's whatever it is but I'm, I'm conscious of wanting to sound professional when I speak to, to chaps on the radio. The flying side of it doesn't concern me. I, I have enough, always have enough fuel in the aircraft to be able to divert anywhere. Uh, I have the experience previously with the IMC. I don't ever want to specifically rely on that. But, you know, there's been days I've gone flying when it's supposed to have been beautiful and the weather's just closed in. And in my opinion, if you're going to do a certain amount of flying, you know, you you need to you need to have a comfort zone that you know you can handle certain situations and Deepak as an example you know <clears throat> he will take fly chaps flying in safe environments but that 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 get them comfortable with what happens if i get caught out and he does that as a standard with his his students um and i would have to say you know i think that makes sense but for the recreational pilot that only wants to fly on a sunday or a saturday when the weather's great you don't need that if you set yourself certain objectives and, and mine is to fly around the world then you know I, I can't afford to be a, a particularly a recreational flyer I've got to have, have more experience and I've built that up okay uh, we're back to uh, what's it called Midden Zealand yeah took off from Midden Zealand um, I, I checked the route along the way um, the chap at, at Midden Zealand was very nice lovely chap called Harold um, the weather was terrible to start with i took off and it immediately sort of closed in it was nice around the airfield um but it immediately closed in and and, and was a little bit intimidating spoke to everyone i needed to speak to um the flight i think was supposed to take three and a half hours 
dodged a whole series of nasty looking clouds and bits of thunderstorms <coughs> and um, went through um, all the different bits of airspace, had to cir circuit around a, a couple of uh, military zones um, and then finally got to uh, uh, Markdorf which is a, a glider field near Frederikshavn where the exhibition was and I was probably an hour late so the uh, lady gave me a hurry up at Linden Information which is the the, the German um, equivalent of London information I guess uh, landed, got out, met up with Deepak I had a very enjoyable evening because Deepak and his friend Bob are very nice chaps um, and then the next day was all about taking a trip into the Alps and seeing the Chichita Bang Bang Castle and yep. getting up to 10,000 feet with my t-shirt on and um, flying into Austria because I because it was there just want to tick it off yeah well I did and the, we, <laughs> the, the place that we planned on going um, wasn't for some reason or other they, they decided to close early um, so I think Deepak and Bob were happy just to, to head back to uh, to Markdorf and I I, I sort of uh, text them um, as we were in the air and said look I'm going to try and find somewhere in Austria to land and um, was flying down this Austrian valley and I saw all the gliders floating around and um, found the uh, the frequency for the glider field and asked them if I could come in and they said yes and then they asked for the aircraft type and I said microlite which was stupid of me I just <laughs> should have said something different fixed wing or light sports or something or other and they said no you can't come in and the English got worse and then I ended up having to blag them and say excuse me chaps I need the toilet can I land yeah. and then finally this, after a couple of more no's this young chap came on the radio um, and said, you know, land at your discretion. And I landed at this beautiful little airfield. Um, and there was a, um, a tug aircraft there pulling the gliders around. And he was just having a whale of a time in the sky. Yeah. He was just having an absolute super little time. And there was a, a, a glider doing a loop the loop over the airfield. And it was glorious. And I just rushed in, made a show of, of going to the toilet, and gave them my <laughs> seven euros. <laughs> And buggered off and, and met Deepak again. And um, I won't ask how you made a show of going to the top. <laughs> well, you know, you just go, the noises. Oh, oh I'm, you know, I'm, I need to go. Let me in. But, ah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, actually on my bloody phone, I've, I've cracked the screen because I've overplayed how keen I was to to bloody you know get in there. But it was a it was a great little time. I had a really really good time. And then, uh, um, how was know, it flying in the Alps? A bit. That was tremendous, wasn't it? It was tremendous, but it was also. Uh, a little bit intimidating you know I guess what I mentioned before about flying and certain weather conditions um, it's you know you've got to dip your toe in the water to then decide how close to terror yep. you are or not um, and Deepak and I had had a conversation about you know things to to be aware of and concerned of and I'd done my own sort of you know looking into mountain flying but you know, I'd left Deepak heading back to, to Germany and I was over the top of the Alps and at 10,000 feet and you've got the valleys and some of them it's kind of like a Heidi kind of situation where, you know, Heidi and a granddad are down there in a chalet somewhere but there's no other bugger around them. Yeah. And you do have that moment of, you know, if I have to crash somewhere, my bit of Kendall mint cake just isn't going <laughs> to cut it. You know, so you, you do have those anxieties. and um, But, you know, I, I, I think I'd feel a bit more comfortable doing those trips now. Um, I want to go to Gibraltar soon and, and maybe flirt over the top of the Pyrenees but you know I, I feel better now yeah. but aside from the niggle issues the aircraft's had 
she's never specifically let me down and I don't think the aircraft particularly knows, bless her, whether she's over water or over mountains. So, you know, I feel more comfortable doing that kind of thing. But yeah, there's definitely an anxiety issue of what the bloody hell am I doing when there's nothing else around, yeah. there's no emergency sites to, to land on. Um, knowing that, you know, if you do put down, you've got quite interesting issues. But, um, you know, it was, a, it was a good experience. How do, you, how do you cope with the stress? I mean, being a, you know, like a fair weather pilot myself, you know, I like to fly in sort of, you know, blue sky cabot conditions. When you get in these stressful situations, do you think, why the hell am I here? Or do you, do you get a buzz out of it? No, I don't get any kind of buzz out of it. But I think um, I did, it's a daft thing to go on to. Um, but I did a relay swim across the channel, I mentioned it before. Um, and the things like that, you can get moments of absolute sheer terror. Yep. But it makes you, in a way, enjoy the smoother periods that you, you're in, kind of thing, whether it's swimming, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be. And I think it's the same with flying, to an extent. You know, if, you, if you've gone through a, a tricky situation and you've handled it well, you, you know, you, you appreciate your other flying that much more because you're not feeling as if you're only 10 minutes away or one bad um, met report from from having a you know a complete anxiety yeah so it's, it's easy to enjoy things and at, to this point touch wood um, you know I've, I've never felt terrified I've had to um, concentrate a large amount but you know, I, I'm, I'm quite good at doing but that. But you think you're, you're adequately prepared, really, for all these situations you get into? You've not been an, into anything where you thought, I can't cope? No, nothing. Oh, I, I've, I've, I've just um, I've just focused. There's, there's a chap here, a flying instructor, really, really nice guy, and his comment um, sometimes is, if you've, if you've tried to um, nail down issue one, two, three, and four, and you still have a, a major issue, then it just wasn't your day to fly. And I sort of take that, that view to an extent in that, you know, we all live one life. It ends at some point. You do what you can to mitigate your risks. But if, you know, you, you just you do your best. Um, and I fly for fun. And it, it makes me feel better knowing that I can handle what this country can can throw at me. And generally speaking, I think if you fly in this bloody country, you can fly anywhere. Absolutely. The weather's so changeable there. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you sort of fly when you go abroad? Do you fly mostly with uh, with DPAC or do you do your own no, planning and flights, etc.? The, the DPAC thing was just a, a one-off flight. Um, after, on the way back from um, Frederikshaven or, or Markdorf, and the Germans were lovely, really nice people, very organised. It's a great place, isn't it, Germany? I love Germany. Yeah, I've said this before and it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, but how the bloody hell we won the war, I've no idea. Because they're so much organised, they're so much more intelligent, <laughs> yeah. they're so much more prepared. And, you know, they're just lovely people. And they do seem to have this bit of a chip on the shoulder about, you know, two nil in the World War stakes. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. but they are just very nice folk. Um, but no, on the way back from um, Friedrichshafen, back to, uh, well, we went to Lille. Um, I... I was sort of flying behind DPAC, a couple of hundred feet lower. They were sort of a fixed position in the window. And we had to slow down to VA speed a dozen times because we were going underneath uh, some quite nasty sort of CBs. And, um, and you know, there was issues with not being able to hear the radio communication because of the, the weather conditions. And uh, it wasn't out of control, so to speak. It was just the situation we found ourselves in. Um, and then we got to... 
I had to phone up a couple of times on the radio to uh, to get zone clearances because I because I didn't hear that Deepak had done it. And then we uh, we made it into Lille International, and I got caught up in a little bit of wind shear, and that was a that was a bit of an interesting moment. That was sort of not long, maybe fifteen twenty seconds of just going straight down. Yeah. Um, Is that like on landing or? I was coming in to land. Yeah. Uh, the lady said to to hurry up because there was a couple of airbuses coming in behind me, nice. and the rain was streaking across the uh, the windscreen, and um, the vis wasn't ideal, and you'd got this, you know, I don't know two mile or whatever it was runway in front of you with all the papi lights and all the runway lights on in front of it and you're just going straight down you know you've got full power on and it, it, it was it was quite exciting exciting for a moment and then it just stopped and i just started climbing away and then i was reminded again about the the commercial jets behind me uh landed parked up rain just bouncing it down got out of the airplane got picked up by uh the people there and i say big international airport and then it stopped raining and it was beautiful, absolutely stunningly beautiful. And then we went and had a meal, Bob and uh, and Deepak and myself. And um, as we were taxiing out, he got his second puncture of the day. So I had to, I, I tried to help them fix it because his, um, uh, his foot pump wasn't working. So I lent him mine. Um, and then he sort of looked at me and sort of said, you know, you're going to have to go back on your own, otherwise you won't get back to Barton in time. So I set off again, you know, did the whole tower frequency and... I mean, ground control and tower frequency, then the departure frequency, and then uh, headed off to the coast and back home. And um, after all the delays we'd had there with these two sets of punctures, I think I landed here with maybe five or ten minutes to spare before last landings. And it was a, you know, it was seven or eight hours worth of flying on that day. It was quite a, an interesting experience. It's not every day you go to the Alps or come back from the Alps. <laughs> not at all, no. You've also done, uh, just recently, I saw in the uh, Microlight magazine, the Round Britain Rally, which is a, a rally for, or a Round Britain trip for Microlights only, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I th I'd seen some programme on TV about um, uh, kind of wacky races, kind of aircraft doing the Round Britain. Yeah. And I thought, that'll be something to do. So I um, spoke to a friend of mine and, and asked if he was up for it. He's a insurance broker and photographer he doesn't do any flying um and he said yeah he'd come along um the idea was to raise some money for charity which we've sort of subsequently done um, we did a couple of non-gps flights and um i kind of realized that we could get where we wanted to go but not at the normal cruise speed of this aircraft because you just go too damn fast and it's easy to lose ground objects and it's a bummer and it's a bugger um so figuring that the slow aircraft might have a better chance on the, the non-GPS version I thought right well maybe we should go GPS and there was a certain amount of toing and throwing on that David wanted to use the GPS I thought oh, which way should we play it and then the weather nearer the event just got terrible there are, there are two categories aren't there there's a GPS yeah. and non-GPS the gold category and the silver category okay. gold is for non-GPS silver is for uh, the GPS um, and we'd said because I, I think I probably wanted the extra challenge of it. Um, so we said we'd do non-GPS, but we'd leave the option open to go GPS. And the weather got terrible, and um, and people were dropping out left, right, and centre. And uh, I think out of 25, I think it got down to about 11 for the, uh, the trip itself. And um, the morning of the trip, I looked at the weather. I looked at some of the other planning the other chaps had done. Um, and thought well we can probably do this if we go GPS 
if we go non-GPS we're absolutely stuffed and I didn't want to get lost in some of the weather that was showing around the country and it was windy and it was low cloud and it just wasn't ideal it was terrible wasn't it I didn't even go out of the house <laughs> it's so bad. yeah it, it wasn't ideal but I had a long chat with with David and said you know what do you want to do I'm happy to go but this is your decision because I'm you know I'm the experienced chap you're not um, but you need to know you know what we're facing kind of thing and he's just the most relaxed chap in the world and he said sod it let's go so um, the morning came I think three aircraft took off we were the, the last of the three um, the other two turned back but David and I went on we made it to Carnarvon then we made it down to uh, I think um, towards Land's End he scared the crap out of me on one occasion when we were sort of bouncing along the coast and I think it was Bournemouth put on their lights on, on the sort of passenger side and David just you know one minute there was just a bit of murk and the next there was the runway lights and I think he thought Jesus was coming <laughs> to meet him and um, and he sort of jumped up and nearly came out of his harness and he had a Mars bar on at the time that he was eating and that went all over the place and I thought bloody hell the wings come off <laughs> so honest to god I nearly karate chopped him then but um, yeah, we, we, that, was, that was kind of interesting and then we made it round to uh we followed the south coast and, and picked up all the as many of the um, around Britain points and markers as we could. This is the, the aim of the thing is to spot things on the ground. Yeah, you, landmarks you, or whatever. You, you get certain points that you have to fly over, um, and we uh, you know we scooped up as many as we could. We with the GPS we got the lungs lungs and uh, latitudes. Um, so to an extent, I was flying sort of specific headings and, and, and aiming for me latitudes and longs, and he was looking out the window and having a rare old time yeah. um, and we you know we finally got to we saw this one chap on the side of a hillside with a massive dick pardon my language <laughs> it was a big chalk outline oh, someone yes. you know 500 years ago or a thousand years ago whatever thought you know what we'll put a penis on this hillside and um, and that was quite <laughs> interesting just to see a pier in front of us <laughs> and we sort of ran past sandals where the rich folk live on the south coast and, and um, joined the circuit at Shoreham and um, there was aircraft. We were at the right height because I'd done the whole, you know, checking out how we were supposed to join all that kind of stuff. And there was chaps a couple of hundred feet below us and, and above us, and they were joining from different directions. And it was a real party. And we landed probably, I think it was probably about twenty or so knots. The wind because it, it it was quite it was a windy couple of days. We landed. Um, we um, asked if anyone knew where there was a pub we could sleep over. And we got pointed to a certain place, which turned out to be a complete gay bar. Um, so you we, fitted in well, then? Well, shaved head and everything. I probably looked like I was, you know, on the pull. But we, we got to the bar and we, we asked, you know, where we should eat. And the guy looked at me and he looked at David, who's got slightly floppy Hugh Grant kind of hair. And we got pointed to the back and all the other gay people came in. And it was like, oh, for cock's sake. Uh, we had something to eat and then this this chunky landlady came along and started flirting with me and it was all very bizarre and um <laughs> and the next morning we got up david snores because uh, we were in the, a twin room kind of thing and uh, he was just like a jackhammer so i didn't get any bloody sleep the morning we woke up and it was i think it was 25 gusting 35 to 40 and i thought this lesbian lady was going to jump me bones so I had a conversation with Dave and said you know there's risks staying and there's risks going what do you want to do and he you said you well, don't get any more points for no, sexual yeah. conquest on this trip no. it would have been sexual harassment and, and she would have held up a scorecard and everything 
So, um, so you know, Dave and I had the conversation. I said, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I really want to get to the Orkneys. I said, well, if you want to get to the Orkneys, we've got to do it today. And um, we, I say we're at Barton for eight, uh, me, we're at Shoreham for eight o'clock in the morning. And um, and I told him, you know, the wind is, is very much on the limits of, of the aeroplane. Um, I said, I'm prepared to, to take the risk, but, you know, the risk is we'll taxi out the wind will be too much if I don't get my aileron controls right there'll be wind that will sort of potentially flip us over um, what do you want to do and um, and I was I, you know I, in a moment of seriousness completely would have stayed there um, the weather was, wasn't particularly for tailing down but um, I gave David the option he said let's go for it so we taxied out um, it was definitely very windy um, we took off and the moment our wheels left the ground and we were maybe 10 feet above ground level I felt so much better so much better because I did have a few anxieties about that and then we went to Chroma uh, we, we hoovered up whatever points we could and we flew to um, to Chroma in Norfolk and I'd been speaking to certain military chaps on the way and I'd been speaking to some um, civil chap and he was telling me how because I'd asked for zone transit because the weather was looking a bit naff on our left or right and he said yeah fly to our space no one else is flying today so I said alright okay and then he made a big point of saying everyone says that us air traffic controllers are snooty and arrogant but we're not <laughs> and I said no of course you're not you're not you're a lovely <laughs> fella because <laughs> it just seemed like the right thing to say and he's, he was he, that little bit of sugar in him up seemed to go down quite well and then he told me to change onto the Norfolk free, uh, the chroma frequency which I did um, and this guy sat in this truck and they'd got a fly-in day and um, he said we've got fuel you can land and have fuel if you want I said well we might go a bit further no no land we're having a fly-in I'm like alright okay but uh... and anyway I, I spoke to David and he said well I could do with a P because we've been flying for a couple of hours at that point so I came in to land um, completely cocked up the landing so I had to do a go round and um, came back and landed the second time and uh, got out of the aircraft and they got a, a cabin there and a kind of an anemometer jobby thing went in and, and the wind he'd said it was 15 knots and it was up to 30 something knots um, and it was fluctuating between directly down the centre line to 90 degrees off it and um, and I got out got out of the, the cabin thing and found this guy and said uh, well you know what were you saying about the weather he said well I didn't actually know you know <laughs> I just guessed I went alright cheers mate so I promptly peed in his toilet had a cup of tea and then buggered off and then we ended up in the Orkneys and um, the, the plan was to maybe stop at Inverness but again David wanted to go to the Orkneys so the the, the cloud got down to at one point well let's just say it was very 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 low um, we were speaking to everyone or I was speaking to everyone on the radio we would I was in constant touch with the air sea rescue guys um, I won't tell you how low the, the cloud got to but it was it was it was quite low um, and came in over some small little hill and, and found um, uh, the uh, the airport at the Orkneys and um, there was no bugger there big long runway um, landed uh, we found a, another B&B David snored for England um, and then we we uh, got to the airport the next day and the chap said uh, the, the cloud is maybe 50 feet above the, the uh, sea level what do you want to do 
he gave me a bit of an option and I sort of said it might get a bit better um, but it was very very low and uh, there was a little bit of clear air to the uh, the north of the airstrip which is kind of on the coast and um, so I said right well we'll do a circuit and see how we feel and um, we did a little bit of skimming the water for a while and then got to the, the turning point at the top of the Orkneys that we wanted you kind of fly over Scarpa Flow which is really cool, that Excellent. World War One kind of yeah. history. Yeah. And um, and then we did that, and then we just buggered off um, and hit a place called Cape Wrath, I think it was called, which is big, high cliffs and um, a complete gusting situation with the wind. And, you you know, you, there was no blue sky, there was no sun. It was just wind and rain and intensity. And, and um, that was quite... That was very intense. Um, we couldn't get above the cliffs, so we had to fly off the cliffs, um, and that was that was quite that was that was exciting for a while. And then five ten minutes later, it was beautiful. And then fifteen minutes after that, it was worse. Um, and then after Scotland had finally finished having its tantrums, we headed back to Barton, and um, and um, you could see all the floods that were happening, and. Um, on my iPad, I I checked out Facebook and because um, there was one moment when I was bored, I think, and uh, there was a chap that I know who said, uh, "Round Britain rally coming back today. The winds twenty, gusting thirty. Should be fun watching the <laughs> aircraft come back." And I thought, "Bloody fun for me, young man." So we we I told David that again there was a chance of a go round, and you know, and at that point I think we'd got maybe fifteen or twenty liters of fuel left on board, which is now as flight. But in something like this, you very it means the aircraft is very light, mm -hmm. um, and I came in faster because it was gusting that sort of ten fifteen knots, and um, the the aircraft normally you fly over the field at a couple of feet and it just settles down, but the wind was such it just wasn't for letting it land, so um, we got towards the end of the runway with the wing tipping left and then ticking tipping right as the the wind took us, and I just said sod it to David and we did a go round. And came back round and landed at the second time, and we'd stop. We'd, we'd stop being an aircraft. We'd been a sort of a ground-based craft for maybe ten seconds, and then this gust of wing just came and, and picked up one of the wings, Jeez. and um, I sort of quickly corrected, and we sort of settled back down to earth. But it was it was a very windy day, and I, the, there was a guy that landed after us in a flex wing, and he joined the circuit the wrong way, which made life a bit more exciting. And then he sort of was a couple of hundred feet above me, and it was like, oh, what the. F flipping heck are you doing but uh, I watched him land and his cradle on the flex wing he kind of landed on one wheel before it settled down and uh, and that was sort of quite exciting but I was you know on, on both landings I was quite prepared to put my foot through the throttle and, and, and take off and I say we got an hour's flexibility so we could have gone somewhere else but uh, you know it was an exciting trip 18 hours 20 hours worth of flying and you won your category yeah we won I think we we got a bit lucky, I guess, and uh, we got picked up twice as many points as anyone else on the GPS or the non-GPS category. Um, and, um, yeah, it was... I, don't, I think, in a way, I kind of get a bit task-orientated, and I know that's a, an anxiety to have, in a way, in that I set myself a target and look to achieve it. I don't like not achieving the things that I've set out to do, but I am conscious of the fact that that's a double-edged sword. That's that's probably how people fly into mountains. 
um, you know, there was for the round the world thing, some chap I was speaking to, um, and he was they were doing flight clearances, and his comment was, um, we had a chap booked from somewhere to somewhere, um, going through Turkey, and um, and just the way this guy's um, email read said we'd lost a guy flying through Turkey, he got disorientated and flew into a mountain. And it's, you know, when you see things written in black and white, it doesn't convey what you go through. Yeah. But I am conscious of the fact you've got to be, you know, safety-minded. But around Britain, Friedrich Schaven, other flying stuff that I did in the States, um, you know, you, you do need to have that mental reserve that sometimes you can only get if you've been in... You've got to challenge yourself in a yeah. way, but yeah. do it in a safe way. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. Uh, in terms of ATC, you've said that you like to sound professional and I know you do prepare what you're going to say before you mm. say it don't you mm. how did you get on uh, abroad in France for example I'm, I went gliding in France and uh, although I wasn't really paying much attention to the ATC I could hear what they were saying and they were speaking French I couldn't understand a word I presume they speak English when you speak English to them but the, the how well did you get on yeah the, um, the couple of trips into northern France the French ATC guys have been great um, the Dutch have been great. The Belgian people have been great. The Dutch and the Belgian chaps have been, you know, a, a mild accent, but it just seems like they're sort of one of us kind of thing, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. and we're one of them kind of thing, and it was very, very friendly. The London, uh, pardon me, the um, Linden information and the German chaps, very good. I have no fault with them at all. They were they were great people. They were very professional. They were telling off some jet people and also sort of sort of GA aircraft for not saying whatever they were supposed to on the radio but certainly with me and in general they were they were great but as I say I do write things down beforehand to make yeah, sure I've, I've got everything I want to say and, and make sure it just flows off the song I don't say it too fast I don't say it too slow I just try and say it right on the recent trip that um, went with another aeroplane a chap called Dave Meller who's a lovely guy solicitor um, we went to uh, went along the Bay of Biscay towards Spain and um, and we flew into, uh, I think it was Brest Information, which is a, a jet airfield, um, where again the people were nice, but it, I, we kind of got the impression that the further south we went along the Bay of Biscay, the chaps' enthusiasm, the ATC guys' enthusiasm for helping us out in English was waning a little bit. Yep. Um, there was one particular airfield that I wanted to go into, which was a, on an island, and, um, and these guys just weren't for speaking English, and it kind of became an, a a polite element of confrontation as to whether they're going to let us in and then in the end I sort of said you know well, is, is Cator's cans one four or whatever it is because we're bloody well coming in and um, we landed and there was some guy went past on a flex wing with a um, an inflatable underneath him which yeah. looked very surreal um, it just looked like you know it looked like a space hopper in flight it was, it was bizarre but um, anyway yeah there was another situation where we were flying along and Dave always he, he puts his foot through the throttle a little bit and um, so he sort of goes off into the distance and there was a military airfield in front of us and he sort of skirted round it and I thought I'll ask for zone clearance and um, it was a Saturday afternoon and I thought you know so I asked and this guy said yeah you know you can come through and his accent was a bit thick and I had to take a second to try and figure out what he was saying and um and I proceeded into his zone and then he asked me to report overhead somewhere else which I kind of tried to figure out what he'd said and then said yes I'd report and he seemed like a happy chap and then as I got this big airfield in sight 
Um, he told me to do a 360 and I did a 360 and I was still spinning around and I was he gave me some other instruction which I couldn't quite make out about height so I sort of said you know I'm golfing you said do you want me to uh, descend to, to a thousand feet no 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 zifitus zifitus and I'm like oh <laughs> cock what does it mean <laughs> so I tried to understand and I said uh, say again your message uh, sir uh, monsieur and he sort of, um, uh, feet is, uh, one thousand to two thousand feet, uh, and he had this accent thing, and you kind of get caught in a Monty Python kind of thing of wanting to do a bit of accent yourself, because you want to make him feel comfortable, you want to make him feel loved, and you know he's yeah. a military guy, so you're like, oh, cock, how do I make this seem clever? So I'm sort of spinning around doing 360, and I had one last stab of, honestly, please, mate, my friend, do you want me to descend a bit? No! Zifitus! <laughs> And I'm like, what the bloody hell do you mean? And I'm still spinning around through 360. And I saw, as I'm sort of spinning around, I saw these two dart-shaped things take off from the runway. The runway must have been, you know, two miles long kind of thing. So, you know, I could see it from a distance. I saw these two dart-shaped things take off. And they headed out to sea, because we were sort of parallel in the, the coast. Headed out to sea, and then all of a sudden did a right turn and whizzed past me. And it was at that point I realised that Zifitas means Rafale supersonic jets. And um, and it was just one of those moments of, where the bloody hell am I doing? And then me and Dave landed at some other island later on. And as soon as he opened the gullwing doors on the CT, he just started pissing himself. You know, he absolutely... And I just thought, what? What have what? I done wrong? You know, I've tried my best. Who knew? That but the reason for that was, you know, I couldn't understand what the guy was saying. Yeah. And uh, my comment was that sort of the further south we got in france i think there's a, a more of a reluctance for them to be a bit more helpful but um i think dave and i developed a bit of an attitude of right you know rightly or wrongly probably more wrongly we decided that we'd uh you know we would make our way in unless someone specifically said no bugger off we'd uh you know we, we'd 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 make it work and that's what we did all right uh, you've got quite a bit of kit in here, haven't you? You've got uh, a nice Dynon avionics setup, and you also have a spot here for a GPS. What other sort of kit do you take along with you? Yeah, we've got the Garmin 496. Um, we've got the um, the Dynon system with the artificial horizon. I always take my um, iPad with me, which has got um, a couple of different sets of, of aviation software in it. Um, I always take spare maps, so I've got sort of the paper version. Um, I like to think that it's a bit of a... Uh, belt and braces kind of approach to making sure that I always know where I am and that I'm I'm sort of in a safe environment. Um, you got to get into get onto Facebook as well. I see are you travelling about. Well, you know, so I, if you're going in, you want people to know, don't you? Well, I, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I, I tell folk sort of what I'm doing, but I always feel a bit awkward about sort of promoting sort of things. But yeah, you know, sometimes I've taken some cool pictures, and just you know, it's nice to be able to share pictures with sort of friends and family kind of thing. But yeah, you know, sometimes flying around, if you're doing long distances, you know, obviously you're keeping an eye out for things coming in the other directions that might be a little bit painful. Yep. But, you know, I do sometimes check emails and Facebook and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's not a boredom thing, but um, I was coming in for a landing here a couple of months ago and um, I was flying with the CT again, Dave, and um, he had a bloody puncture somewhere and I was coming in on final approach and sometimes, you know, final, if you trim the aeroplane up, can be, you know, 60 seconds, 120 seconds worth of boredom, and then, you know, 10 seconds of, oh, don't yep. crash, don't crash, don't crash. 
and as I'd sort of set the aeroplane up I just checked the phone and, and it was a text message came through from Dave saying I've got a puncture in, in um, uh, Birmingham can you come back and pick me up Hapenny Green so I had to sort of whiz around and sort of spin off. So, yeah, you know, I, I do try and, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, keep on top of other things. Pushing, send emails or see emails from uh, from Harold and uh, yeah. check his wind. Yes, the headache with Harold, as I say, was he told me two <laughs> conflicting stories. The first, you know, when he was okay for me to set off and the second when he thought I was going to crash. So I should have had a conversation with him about maintaining the same kind of message, but it turned out I'm about six foot, six foot one. It turns out he's about six foot four. Ah, right. So I sort of took a different view and just shook his hand. And what are your future plans there, John? What do you what do you aim to do? Um, the plan is to go round the world in this little beast. Um, um, before the hours sort of come back at Barton, and it's you know you can't land as late. I'd like to take this to uh, Gibraltar. Um, I'm going over to Dublin uh, this weekend. Um, but, you know, with an aircraft like the CT, it's probably different in other types of aircraft, but with an aircraft like the CT, it's a touring aircraft. So if you're not going to tour in it, what's the point of having it? Exactly, with uh, eight hours worth of uh, duration, you can go anywhere, couldn't you, really? Yeah, as long as you can, you know, hold your bladder, you're fine. <laughs> and uh, what have you learnt from all this, apart from don't take a co-pilot that snores? <laughs> mm, yes, yes. Um, what have I learnt from all this? You describe yourself as a, an optimistic pessimist. Risk profile is a, an interesting one. You know, I've, it sounds like I'm being precocious. I don't know if that's the right word. But, you know, I got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I've done the Ironman. I've done a relay swim across the channel. I've had my hang gliding licence. I've done free-fall parachuting. I've done loads of marathons around the world. I've done the Pamplona bull run. I've, you know, I've done quite a number of things where it's all quite pressured, and I'm not a thrill seeker. Um, I'm not one of these chaps that has to push himself to the edge and then ultimately topples over the other side of it. Um, but you know, I think Rudyard Kipling has a his poem. If you know, if what is it? If you can fill each unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run. Well, that's the gist of it, you know. I would hate to get to whatever age, whether it's... I'm 44 now, whether it's 45 or whether it's 95. I'd hate to get to that age and and, and not feel as if I've lived. Brilliant. So there you go. Ta-da. Brilliant. Thank you very much, John. Cheers. John Hilton there. Certainly a busy and a full life so far. Uh, I look forward to following John's flying experiences and hopefully catching up with him uh, as and when he gets to fly his uh, CTSW around the world. John has a charity blog where he's collecting donations for his nominated charity. You can find details of the charity and the interesting ways that John is attempting to raise money by visiting the, the website. Uh, I witnessed first-hand John practicing on a pogo stick and confirm that uh, he's a long way to go before uh, he completes the one-mile record attempt for the Guinness Book of Records. So if you want to have a look at uh, John's Just Giving website, check out the Flying Podcast website for links to John's Just Giving page. Also on the Flying Podcast website, uh, have a look at some of the aviation products that you can buy via Amazon, and also don't forget to uh, follow the podcast on Facebook or Twitter. Well, that's it for another episode of Flying Podcast. Um, send me an email if you'd like to take part or just uh, send your comments or thoughts uh, and ideas for future episodes to the usual address. That's steve at 
flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon.